Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, and we are going to be looking at the Bible. So uh, if you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one on the back table. That's our gift to you. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, this is a great place to learn about what the Bible means uh, and uh, its implications for your life. Let me just say this, guys. It, it, we've spread all of our, our folks across three services, so we had plenty of room this Easter. But I just have to say... What a privilege and joy to gather on Easter. Uh, the year after last year, 2020 Easter, we were not able to do this in person, and I have never felt the loss of my church family more than on that day. This is a day we are meant to be together. So, uh, we, And there are a number of folks that have not been able to come back to church, and some of our senior saints, this is their first uh, Sunday that they've been back in over a year, so uh, we love that. We love that, and we're so glad we can be together as a church family. Mark chapter 8, we're, we've been usually walking through the book of Mark section by section. Today, we're going to walk word by word. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. This is God's word. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. This is God's word. If you had the most perfect hero, the most powerful hero ever to walk the earth in world history, what would you have him do? Jerry Siegel answered this question years ago. Jerry Siegel created one of the most iconic characters, really one of the most iconic images ever created in American culture. But his creation came from a place of deep hurt. One day at the family store, Siegel's father was robbed at gunpoint, and his father had a heart attack in the process and died. A few years later, Partially out of this pain, Siegel began to sketch a comic's character. This comic character, if you look at the earliest sketches, is often depicted as saving a man who's being robbed at gunpoint. The man being robbed looked remarkably like Jerry Siegel's father. The savior was a new character called Superman. Now, this character, probably the most powerful character in all of comics and pop culture, uh, he would save bu buildings and trains and airplanes, but he was really created out of Siegel's desire to save just one person, his father. If you had one shot with the most powerful hero ever to walk the earth, what would you have him do? That's the question that's hanging over verse 31 here. That's the question that hangs over this whole weekend. We're going to walk this verse by, I mean, section by section here. First, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must do something. Now, that phrase, Son of Man, is incredibly important, especially on this Resurrection Sunday. The disciples, as we saw last week, are finally grasping after walking with Jesus for years that Jesus is not just a great man. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He is the Christ, as Peter just confessed last week. He is 
the Messiah. He is the Son of Man, the title Jesus gives himself, the supernatural Savior foretold in the Old Testament in Daniel 7. Where this Son of Man reigns, Sickness turns to health. Demonic oppression turns to freedom. Blindness turns to sight. Storms turn to calm. There is no power, as we've seen in the Gospels. There is no power that can stand against Jesus. There is no task too great for him. There is no realm he does not rule over. So then the question, if you have this hero, this most powerful hero, where do you aim him? What do you use him to do? That is the key question here. The disciples are wondering it. Jesus has just said, yes, I am the Christ. The disciples are thinking, what now? Where are we going? Let's raise an army. Let's march on Rome. Let's do this. How would you answer that question today? I think the backdrop of 2020 provides a pretty stark way to answer this question. Maybe you think, you know, if I had one powerful person, I would, I would fix the virus. I would end the virus somehow. We've walked through uh, our church, people losing jobs, people losing businesses as a result of 2020. We've walked through people battling depression. We've walked through people looking for hope. We've walked through all the effects of, of the broken world around us. We've walked through strained relationships between people and their families as a result of the cultural upheaval in our country. If you had one powerful person, what would you use him to do? What would you fix? What's the thing you would fix? Maybe it's even more personal, a broken relationship, a person you wish you could bring back, a, a, a freedom from, from depression. What would you have the greatest hero in the world do for you? Well, Jesus aims himself at something in particular. Jesus says he must do something. The Son of Man must do something. So what must he do? Where is he going to aim himself? He must suffer. That's how the hero will save the world, by suffering. Now, that seems bizarre to us a bit, but it would have seemed incredibly bizarre to the disciples. The Son of Man, they knew their Old Testament. The Son of Man doesn't suffer. The Son of Man triumphs, right? The fact is that a few verses later, Peter, hearing this, takes Jesus aside and essentially, it's, the text says, rebukes him. Like, Jesus, you can't do this. You can't suffer you're not you don't understand what the son of man is let me explain it to you like jesus says thanks peter but no thanks i know what the son of man is supposed to do and yet it it, it doesn't remove the bizarreness why would the son of man the anointed king suffer well jesus i think is trying to help his disciples see right here that he's not just the son of man He's not just the anointed king. He is something more. There were actually two great figures foretold in the Old Testament. One was the Messiah, the anointed king, who would triumph and conquer and save. And the other was the suffering servant who would suffer and save. Isaiah 53 says this, he, the suffering servant, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and one from whom men there hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. What, what Jesus is saying is by combining these, these two things, he's saying, I am both the anointed king and the suffering servant. I will triumph, I will conquer through loss and suffering. He will suffer and be rejected, be rejected. Now, this at first seems strange, but it actually explains the whole mission of Jesus. 
Jesus describes that, that he, God himself, come in the flesh. He should be honored. He should be welcomed. But his people will reject him. The rulers won't like him. The scholars will find ways to explain him away. The holiest of the holy will call him sinful, right? God's people utterly, completely reject him and cry for his crucifixion. Now, in this rejection of God by people, we find the source of all the suffering in the world. You might ask, how did all of this suffering enter the world in the first place? Well, the answer is that our rejection of God and his good kingdom is what leads to suffering. We, as humanity, have made a terrible, terrible choice. Jerry Siegel made a terrible choice as well. Years after creating the character of Superman, he sold the rights to the character. But this was not a kind of George Lucas multi-billion dollar payday. This character, this icon was sold for the grand total of $130, right? And for the rest of his life, Jerry Siegel realized he made a mistake. He, he, he saw the money right in front of him. They asked, hey, do you want to sell this guy? We'll give you 130 bucks. He's like, sure, I could use 130 bucks. He hands him over, signs him over. For the rest of his life, he regretted it. It ended up destroying his relationship with DC Comics because he kept fighting them for control of the character. He sued them multiple times. He dealt with money problems for the rest of his life. Many people say if he had not done that, he, he probably would have been welcomed and celebrated by DC forever, but the deal was was done. The lawsuits didn't work. Why? Because his signature was on the contract, right? He did it. He made a terrible deal. And similarly, this is what humanity has done. God made a world without suffering, right? In the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2, no one is suffering. There is no suffering. There is only God and his good reign over the whole world, and yet humanity rejects him. Humanity says, no. Humanity says, no, I will be king. I will rule. I will do what I want. We refuse God. We refuse his justice. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is behind every form of suffering. And here's how. When sin enters the world, three things break, okay? Our relationship to creation breaks. That's how we get coronaviruses and cancers and our bodies begin to break down and creation turns against us. That, that happened as a result of sin. Second, our relationship with one another breaks. That's how we get strife and riots and injustice and abuse, right? And third, our relationship with God breaks. And that's really the fundamental thing here. We lose our relationship we were made for. We lose our source of life, our stability, our hope, our peace, our everything. We have made a terrible deal, but here's the problem. All of us make this deal. All of us, if you were to pull out you know, the records of heaven, there would be our signature on the deal saying, would you trade all of this for a shot to rule yourself? Yes, I think I could do better. But we lose everything. We lose everything. Everything. Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows the only way to save the world is to go through the rejection, almost in a focused way that has broken the world, and then be killed. Be killed. Now, every night when I put my boys to bed, they come up with questions they can ask me and things to talk about so they don't have to go to bed. Any kids, you guys ever do that? Like your mom and dad's putting you to bed and you're like, oh, I have a question now about, uh, about science, about uh, the world, about how airplanes work, right? Like, and you're, you're like, I, I don't know how airplanes work. It, aerodynamics is a word, you know. Cohen asked me this week, who is the biggest bad guy Jesus defeats? 
I was like, oh, that's a good question. Like, he's, that's a theological question. So I began to walk him through when well, he defeats sin in this way. He defeats Satan. But the Bible says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I'm, and I'm like, death. And we're, I'm thinking we're going to have a really good theological conversation here, a big, important moment for his life. And he goes, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I mean a bad guy you can hit, right? Because he's just thinking, okay, death is a problem, but you can't hit it. What are you going to do against death, Right? Look, for Superman, for all of his strength and power, he couldn't save Jerry Siegel's dad. He can't stop death itself, right? This is the fundamental problem. Jesus knows that the fundamental problem, the final enemy, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, is death. The last enemy defeated is death. We know this, church. In the last year, since last Easter, we've lost five precious folks from our church. The different reasons for, at different times, some were kids, some were parents, some were grandparents. Look, we feel this. Out of all the wrongness of the world, the thing most wrong with the world is this. Death has entered the world. But how, how can you hit it? How do you hit something unhittable? The Bible lays out the problem. It says that there is a one-two punch of death resulting in a knockout. First punch is that as a result of sin, our bodies decay and die. That's our physical death. But then after that comes, as it were, another death, death in quotes there. We stand before God and we receive whatever is due to us with our contract. (laughs) The Lord says, is that your signature? Yes, that is. Did you reject God? Yes, we did. Therefore, justice comes to us. Sin leads to death. But Jesus, in Jesus, we find a different kind of hero. You know what's different about Jesus? Jesus is the only one who has no standing appointment with death. Death can't touch him because he never rejected God. He never sinned. He's the only one who can look death in the eye and walk away. The only man to ever be able to do that. And yet what we find is that rather than walking away from death, Jesus walks toward it. Jesus, the only man who could escape death, chooses it, goes toward it, says he must face it. He challenges it. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Isaiah 53 tells us, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what Jesus' contract was? A perfect life, a perfect record, a perfect righteousness, and a perfect eternity with God. That's what his contract was. You know what ours is? We rejected God. It results in death, eternal justice coming against us. And what Jesus does on the cross is he says, I'll take your contract, you take mine. I will cross your name off and write mine here and you have mine. You go on to eternal life. I will take the death that your sin deserves upon myself. This is what Jesus does to save the world. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and Jesus pays our wages to the very last penny. 
Peter would say, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might do what? Bring us to God, that that way of life would be restored to us. Church, Good Friday is good news, as we talked about a couple days ago, because it means one payment for all time for our sins. All our debts are paid. All the justice is fulfilled. All of the curse is born. All of it. But the verse does not end there, and I've never been more grateful for a comma in my Bible. And on the third day, rise. Or your translation might say, and after three days, rise again. The question hanging over Saturday is, did it work Did Jesus, with his one shot, really save the world? Did he really do what needed to be done? And the resurrection, the empty tomb, proclaim out, yes. The only one to freely walk toward death and into the tomb is the only one that can freely walk out of the tomb, and he did. This is what Jesus has done, church. He has destroyed death, defeated death, and in so doing, transformed it. See, in 1 Corinthians 15, it shows us that the first death, the physical death, where it became an inevitable lead into the second eternal death is totally transformed. The first death now is nothing but a car ride over to eternal life, right? Jesus, through the tomb, blazes a trail and kicks out the back door of death into new life for all who will follow him. And you know what's through that door at the back of death? Eternal life. Eternal life. The life we long for. However you answered that question earlier, this is what your heart is longing for. No murder, no cancer, no riots, no kids without families, no goodbyes, no loneliness, no tears, no pain. This is what Jesus has won for us. Jesus hits the unhittable enemy, and he doesn't just hit him, he destroys him completely. 1 Corinthians says this, Then, as a result of the work of Christ, shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. This thing that has swallowed up person after person after person in every age, in every place, it itself is swallowed up in victory. And then the song rings out, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right, this, this thing that humanity has feared ever since uh, the beginning, right? this thing that enters into our lives at an early age that we are afraid of, all of a sudden Christians are talking trash to and saying, where are you at now, death? Where's your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not us. We didn't win the fight, but we cheer our victorious Savior on as he does. And church, when you believe this, when you get this, it changes everything. Over the last few years, our church has had the privilege of getting to know a man named Bill Russell. He used to sit right there. Just imagine him right there, if you would. He was an older man with a big smile and an even bigger, if that were possible, booming voice. He'd be the first guy to tell you that 
Early in his life, he rejected God in every way possible. There was a, there was a time where somebody told us, hey, Bill's on the news. And we're like, oh, Bill, Russell's on the news? What's, what's he on the news about? And he was on the news because he, uh, he was in a book chronicling one of the most elaborate uh, drug-running schemes in American history. And you're like, oh, Bill. And he says, yep, that was me. You know, he went to jail. But somewhere along the way, Jesus saved him. So we got to know Bill later in his life. And Sunday after Sunday, he often dealt with health issues. And he often came to church leaning on a cane. And as his body broke down, he couldn't always even stand for all of our time of singing, all the time of worship, even though he wanted to. And so sometimes when he couldn't stand any longer, he would sit down, but he would raise his cane up. Or if you've ever been here during the preached word, something would ha say, happen that he agreed with, and he would say, preach that, and then he would raise his cane up into the air. How does a guy who's getting closer and closer and closer to death only get more joyful as he goes? You know how? how? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you talk to him, he would say, listen, man, I'm ready to go. This body's breaking down. I think it's about through with me. I'm ready to move on. And he was utterly confident that because his Savior rose, so would he. Now, you may have heard a rumor, church, earlier this year that Bill Russell died. But I'm here to tell you that that rumor is not true. Bill Russell died years ago. And this year, he rose to eternal life. Friend, if you don't know the hope of Christ this Sunday, Jesus offers to switch contracts with you. You got a terrible one, man. We all do. And it's your signature on the bottom line. Your sin has helped break this world to be what it is. But Jesus says, give it to me. And I will pay it in full to the last penny. Won't you do that today? Man, this, this Easter could be the day that you stop being afraid of death, that you stop being afraid of what's to come, stop being afraid of God, stop being afraid of judgment, stop being afraid that justice will catch up with you, stop being afraid that at the end of life there is no hope. This could be the day you come to life. Look to Jesus, repent of your sins, believe in him, and turn to follow him. And church, here's, here's what I believe God's heart is for us. There have been times over the last few years that we on Easter have focused on some of, in a good way, the present benefits of Jesus' work for us, right? We talk about how Jesus gives us peace in life. Jesus gives us hope in life. Jesus helps us feel um, welcomed and loved in this life. And that is all true, and we say amen to all of it. But I think after the last year we've had where we see we are far more vulnerable than we ever thought, when death is probably far closer to most of us than we want to believe, let's lift our eyes off of our present circumstances to that day that because Jesus rose, so will we. Because Jesus walked out of the tomb, so will we. And if we see that, there is nothing this year or next year or the next decade can throw at us to shake us because our hope is in something far beyond this world. Do you know what our friend Jerry Siegel ended up dying from? A heart attack, just like his father. The hero he created couldn't have saved his dad, and it couldn't have saved him, 
but we know, church, a better hero. And his name is Jesus. He's the only one to hit the unhittable enemy. He's the only one to offer us new life, not just now, but for eternity. Would you stand and let's pray. Lord, we pray in joy today, understanding what you have done. Lord, I pray if there's any here that don't know you, that they would feel you calling them today. They would feel your open hand outstretched, offering to take their contract and give them a far better one. I pray that they would take you up on it today, God. And I pray for all of us who are part of the church, God, I pray that we would rejoice in the many good things that that Easter reminds us. It reminds us that we're loved, that we're not abandoned. It reminds us that we have hope. It reminds us that we we can have peace in this, this tumultuous world, God. But I pray that we would aim higher this Easter and remember that there is nothing in this world we have left to fear because our Savior rose from the dead and death itself has been defeated. And I pray that you would make us unshakable in our unkillable Savior. Amen.